I bring good news this morning. As some of you already know, want to make sure the rest of the congregation and those listening on radio know that my predecessor, the Reverend James S. Little, who is the great driving force in the building of this church back in the late 40s and during the 50s, and the instrument of God who has brought about so many of these things we enjoy here today that as of this weekend he is not Dr. James S. Little. Yes, Whitworth College this weekend bestowed upon him the honorary degree of Doctor of Divinity. And those of you who know Jim, and I know many of you do, and we're very grateful for his ministry, some of us think it's far too late that he received this high honor for all that he does and means to the Church of Jesus Christ. But we rejoice in this time of celebration this time of recognition for a man who is not only a great servant of God, but a friend of ours. Please now turn with me in the scriptures to John, the twelfth chapter, beginning to read at the twentieth verse. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said to him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew went with Philip, and they told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there shall my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd standing by heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said, An angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not for mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show by what death he was to die. The crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Jesus said to them, The light is with you for a little longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. 
Amen. When somebody says to you that Christians don't worry, that's the time you better begin to worry. Yes, that's a good idea. It sounds like good advice and a good philosophy, but it's not good theology. No. Christians do worry. Yes, when, when our Lord Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount that we should not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself, he was not saying that we don't worry about today. Jesus, who told us not to worry about what we eat or what we wear or what we drink, is presuming, I think, that there are some things that you don't worry about, but yet there are some things that you do worry about. Our Lord himself worried. Yes, I know that becomes rather startling to some people, but that's why we read this scripture lesson today, because it was Jesus, the troubled Jesus, the worrying Jesus, who said, Now is my soul troubled. Because Jesus is like us. He is tempted in all ways like us. He knows everything that is in us, and Jesus would not be Jesus if he did not worry like we worry. Worry's good, you know. It's created by God, and God creates all things good. You Bethel students know that. God has given to us, I don't know why, and sometimes it upsets me, but God has given to us the capacity and the ability to worry. You know, you don't have to go to school too long to learn how to worry. It's a natural tendency, like eating and sleeping and thinking and dreaming. Yet, like any virtue... It can become a vice if it's not used correctly. Think on the wrong things, and you're going to be in trouble. Eat the wrong things, and you're going to be in trouble. Worry about the wrong things, and you're going to be in trouble. You see, I think what Jesus is trying to tell us is that there is absolutely nothing more fruitless and useless in life than to try to tell a worrying person not to worry. That's like trying to tell a sick person, don't be sick. It doesn't work that way. Jesus is trying to tell us, though, that there is a Christian way to worry. And just as there's a wrong way, there's a right way to worry. There's things that we should be worried about. And there are things that we should not be worried about. And as I've studied this scripture passage, which we've used as the text for this sermon, I think there are some questions. The questions that we can ask our troubled souls when we're worried. First question. Am I doing everything that I can to get at the root or the cause of this trouble? That's a good question to ask you when you're in the midst of some big, dynamic, great, earth-shattering worry. Ask your troubled soul, am I doing everything that I can to get at the cause or the root of what makes me worry?
That's a very good question, you know, because it seems a lot of time we would much rather worry <laughs> than do anything about it. It's not original with me, but someone has said that worries are like babies. The more you nurse them, the bigger and faster they grow. And the more you spend time worrying, the worrier you're going to become. There's nothing more fruitless than worrying about worrying. And yet that's what we do. I know people who, who think that they are sick and they're almost worried to death. But will they go to a doctor? <laughs> a physician? No, they'd rather worry. I know parents who are very worried about their children. They're, they're, they're concerned that they're becoming juvenile delinquents. But do you think that they'll, they'll really concern themselves as what their, their children are reading or where they're going or with whom they are associating? No, no, they just want to worry, that's all. I know people who drink too much. They're worried that they're becoming an alcoholic. Think they'll do anything about it? They'd rather worry. And we, we all have this tendency. And if, if it's not that we just want to worry, what we normally want to do is just run away from the trouble. And we think that if we run away from it, it will go away, and then we won't have to worry about it. When psychologists tell us the worst thing in the world is to try to run away from a worry. Now you've got to isolate it, you have to look at it, you have to analyze it, you have to call in all the resources you can to fight it, you have to stand up to it. You have to look it in the face and you have to try to get the best of it. And you can do it. I read of an executive in one of our large companies in America who keeps on his big mahogany desk a lone vase and in that vase is a thistle. And when anybody comes to him asking for help, or is in trouble, or has a big, big worry, he stands before the desk and he says, take hold of that thistle. He says, it's very interesting to see what they do. They'll say, oh, oh, no, I couldn't do that. He says, go ahead, take a hold of that thistle. And with constant persistence, he, he remains urging them to do this. And he said, suddenly, the person gingerly puts his hand forward and, and he, he just touches the thistle and before long he says, ouch, that hurts. And then the executive reaches down with his big paw and he grabs that thistle and he crushes it. And he says, now you do the same. And lo and behold, his inspiration always seems to work because the person then who was very timid before grabs the thistle and it really doesn't hurt that much. And he says, now let that be a lesson to you. Let that work lesson be taught to you concerning your problems. Face your problems timidly. Think that they're going to hurt you and harm you and sting you. Think that they're going to beat you, and they will. But face your worry. Grab it, face up to it, and you can lick it. And so often this is true, ladies and gentlemen. You see, this is what Jesus found. When he knew he was going to die, he was worried. And he said, Father, now is my soul troubled. And like all the rest of us, he wanted to run away from that particular responsibility. And he says, Father, save me from this hour. Save me. 
let me run away from this, Father. I don't want to do it. I'm too young. Only 33 years old. And I'm going to have to die. And he was worried. But then he grabbed his thistle. And he stood up to it and he faced it. And he says, no. For this purpose, I have come to this hour. And he faced his problem. And you know what happened? Didn't take the problem away, but he quit worrying about it. Never again do you read in the scriptures that Jesus was worried that he was going to die. He had defeated that problem. No longer was it worrying him. He had faced it, and he had won. So the first thing you want to do, I think, is when you're in the midst of one of those big bad worries, and you can't sleep, and you wonder what you're going to do, instead of worrying about it, ask yourself, am I finding or working at the causes to this worry? And then secondly, I think another question that you can ask a troubled soul, who is it that I'm really worried about? And don't be too surprised if you find it's the big I. You know, most of our worries, not all of them, no, but most of our worries are very selfish. When any one of us begins to worry about what other people are going to say and think, you know, that's very self-centered. To think that other people have absolutely nothing better to do than to worry about what I do and say. That's very selfish. Yet we worry. And we worry. And so often that's a very, very selfish indicator. And that's the kind of worrying that Jesus was very much against. Be not anxious about what you will eat or about what you will wear. But in other parts of the scripture he tells us that we ought to be very much anxious and very worried as to whether or not other people have enough to eat and whether other people have a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus Christ, and whether or not other people have enough clothing to wear. Jesus tries to teach us that we should worry, yes, but not about things, but about people, not about self, but about others. And you know, that's one of the great mysteries of life. Get yourself in the midst of some big, bad, horrible worry, and suddenly know that someone else is in trouble. And you've got to concern yourself with worrying how you can be of help to that other person. And you know, the more you begin to worry about other people, <laughs> strange, your own worries seem to diminish, and they really don't seem very important at all. Think back upon your worries of this past week, and we've all had them. Oh, yes. And with the worry come those two twin cousins that comes with every worry. Resentment and tension. And just think back this week when you were tense or when you resented somebody or something. I think you'll find that it was because you've been worrying about somebody. And when you analyze that, I'm afraid a good many of our worries have been involved with nothing but with selfish enterprise. Wonder how many of us this past week worried about some neighbor or friend who knows not Jesus Christ. 
I wonder how many of us really worried this week about the hungry people of the world. I wonder how many of us really worried about somebody else who was walking through a valley. And then we wonder why in this world we're having so many problems. Ask your troubled soul, who is it that I'm really worried about? And then thirdly, ask yourself, or your troubled soul that is, am I using all of the resources available to me to stop worrying? You see, one point that we just can't seem to get through our souls is the fact that we still insist that we're to go it alone in this world. <laughs> God never put anybody on this world to go through it by himself. Nobody. Yet we insist on carrying the whole world on our shoulders. God has given us all of these resources to use into getting rid of our worries. We're like that little boy who was asked to move a big, big stone in the front yard, and he sweat, and he tugged, and he pulled, and he tried everything, and soon he came back to his father and said, Father, I can't move it. I've tried everything. The father says, No, you haven't. What do you mean, said the boy? You haven't tried everything until you've asked me, said the father. And that's what God's trying us. We haven't tried everything unless we have asked him. You know, that's what we just sang so wonderfully about. What a friend we have in Jesus. Remember that verse? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything. God in prayer. Praying persistently about this particular problem that makes us worried. I have to warn you though, we're beginning to realize in the dynamics of prayer that sometimes you can pray too much about your worries because when you talk about them day after day after day, soon you are concentrating on the worry, on the problem, rather than the power that God can supply you through the power of prayer. So ask the Lord about it, but don't ask him continuously, asking, expecting that he will answer. Persevere in prayer. Another thing that I personally find most helpful, practice the promises. Practice the promises. What promises? 23rd Psalm, first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The 27th Psalm, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Passage from Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. God is our help, our refuge, very presence in time of trouble. You read that as part of the responsive reading today. Practice these petitions as you're reading your Bibles and you come across something that can help you to alleviate 
the worry in your life. Write that down. Put it on a piece of paper. Carry it in your pocket or your purse. Pull it out. Look at it several times a day until, until you can recite it from memory. And then when you're in the midst of one of those problems, repeat it. Practice the promise. And then proceed in the power. Proceed in the power. You see, that is what Jesus did. When Jesus was concerned not about himself, but only wanted his Father to be glorified, when he had already decided that what he was doing was the thing that he was doing was right to alleviate the cause of the problem of the tension and the worry, when the noise came, when the voice spoke, Though some people thought it thundered and others thought it was an angel, Jesus knew that this was the answer from the Father. And it was spoken not only for his benefit, but for all people who heard such a confusing sound. And what Jesus tried to teach his disciples later on was that the answer does come, and when it comes, when you ask for it, believe it. Believe it. Yet a little while is the light with you, said Jesus. While you have the light, believe in the light and become children of light. To me, what this is saying is when you have a worry or a concern, when you pray perseveringly, when you practice the petition, when you believe expectantly the answer will come, when an answer comes, believe that that is what God is answering your particular petition in that particular manner and follow that. You see, that's what we don't do. We pray for guidance. We pray for direction. Along comes a decision we have to make and we pray especially strong that God will lead us. And a decision has to be made and we make it. Let's quit worrying about it then. That is the will of God. Take it, believe in it, and quit questioning the troubled soul about it. Though some people may say that's only thunder, others may say it's an angel. You believe it's God's light shining upon your particular problem. And God's will is being done through you. And then quit asking the questions of the troubled soul. And move on until another trouble comes to the soul. But let that one be dead. You see, that, that's the glorious thing about this particular passage. And as I've wrestled with it this week, I've come to the realization that this is the great secret that God in Jesus Christ is trying to give to us as to how we can live triumphant lives beyond tripping over the anthills of despair and worry. This is found in the 12th chapter of John, and those of you who know your Bibles know that we are in the experience just before the cross. Jesus was worried about the cross. Jesus went through these particular questions, which I think we, we have tried to put in our terminology today. 
And he felt that it was God's will that was leading him to the cross, and he quit worrying about it. And the cross, which was a concern, a trouble, a problem for him, once when he was sure that this was God's will and he quit worrying, he set his face straight towards Golgotha Hill and he climbed upon that cross and he died, yes. But all of us found the meaning of salvation through that death. And what was a cross became a crown for all of us. That's the great, exciting, wonderful, triumphant thing about a worry that comes to any one of us, ladies and gentlemen. When that worry comes and we can't sleep, and I don't care what kind of a worry it is, when we feel ourselves being hemmed in from the left and from the right, from the north and from the south, when we wish we could run away and know that we can't, when we know that we're, we're being selfish and we're trying not to be, when we're praying for light, that's one of the most dynamic moments in our lives because we may be standing on the threshold then that very moment in the midst of that big bad worry of one of the greatest things that God has in store for us in this world you know if there had never been anybody worrying We'd still be beating each other up, still living in caves and still rolling stones around. But because people worried, the way that Christ wants people to worry, we've known progress, we've known success, and thank God we've known salvation through Jesus Christ. So the next time the big worry comes, don't despair. Thank God for it and realize that you are on the threshold of maybe one of the greatest experiences in your life. And talk to your soul and ask your soul, no matter how troubled it is, the questions of God. Amen. Father, you've been very kind and you've been very good. You've blessed us not only on this day, but throughout all of this week. We come before you from different addresses of emotions. But, Father, we come. No one of us knows what the tomorrow holds. But, Father, we're very thankful that you hold the tomorrows of all life. So help us in our concerns to make them real, God-centered, and answered by Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, and help us to move. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of His Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.